Where Nobody Knows Your Name, reviewing Where Nobody Knows Your Name, is not in front of a live studio audience. I like that Bahai, very meta. Very mm. meta indeed, yes. And to explain to our audience, the title of this week's episode is Where Nobody Knows Your Name. Yeah, that's all. You thought it was just a funky title we were going through. Oh, no, 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 it's the name of an actual Cheers episode, which we planned all along. It just took four years to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, season nine, episode four. It aired on the 11th of October, 1990, directed by Andy Ackerman and written by Dan O'Shannon and Tom Anderson. It's an interesting episode. Mm, it's a hot episode. Uh, which we'll find out in a minute. But we'll let's start with the cold open. Oh, I see what you did there. Cliff is looking for his gum. Where's his gum, Barry? Well, it turns out his gum is attached to Norm. But there's a lovely line at the start. Cliff is looking for his gum and he says he took it out to give his mouth a rest. <laughs> uh, uh, to which Fraser gives a particularly sarcastic response. Cheers is filmed before a live studio audience. Anybody see my gum? Left it around here somewhere. What'd you take your gum out for? Uh, give my mouth a rest. Oh. Dear diary, today it finally happened. <laughs> oh, he doesn't shut his yap, does he? That cliff. But where would you leave gum, Barry? Under the bar thing is where people usually live. It, or, or if you're some kind of a rebellious teenager who's trying to prove a point under a chair. Yeah, that would be... Gum I don't plan to retrieve. Yes. <laughs> it's quite grim that Cliff is leaving future gum dotted around the bar. He aims to retrieve that gum and continue chewing at some point in the future. Yeah, I am not much of a gum chewer. No, I like a breath mint, like a polo, but not gum. No, no, no. I used to love bubble gum when I was a kid, to the point where I would pile it in so much that blowing a bubble was no longer possible. Although I'd go red face trying. <laughs> I've never been able to blow a bubble, you know. No. Really, James? Yeah. Ooh, maybe that needs a, a special episode. We'll just put a microphone in front of you and uh, leave you to it. Yeah, yeah. Violet Beauregard, was she a bubble gum or chewing gum fan? Bubble. I'm, I'm pretty sure she blows the old bubble in the uh, film. Should we qualify what that film is? Well, I think people will know. It's the Chocolate mm. Factory. Yes. Charlie Chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Chocolate. <laughs> uh, yeah, close enough. I rewatched the Gene Wilder one at the cinema the other the other week. That was an experience. Oh, that is the better one, though. <laughs> yeah, because it was 50 years. Seeing it on the big screen shows how creepy that film is. Mm. Yeah, it's got just, just the right amount of darkness in it. Mm -hmm. The chewing gum. Uh, that Cliff has lost, as you alluded to, is uh, under Norm, under his elbow. But Norm doesn't seem too bothered. He gets tips on how he could remove it from Frasier, but he seems to have a full range of movement to lift his pint to his face. So he decides, I'll just carry on. Just wait for it, yeah. i got nothing going on. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> We're into the main episode, and uh, it's a cruel summer. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, banana rama reference that feels topical. <laughs> a niche, uh, well, niche now perhaps, but in 1990, nah, it's what they call in America an Indian summer, in that it's uh, chaotic and much warmer than expected. 
Mm. Yes. Although Sam initially complained about the heat, seeing women in the bar wearing a lot less to cope with the heat seems to uh, change his mind about the how to deal with this uh, Indian summer. But this leads to Carla arriving in full winter jacket and scarf wrapped around her. Which I don't understand, because if it's warm, why is she dressed up to be warmer? I don't understand this. Ah, well, it's to cover herself. Ah, I see. To uh, protect herself from the prying eyes of men. I think she should have worn a different material. You can wear a material which hides you, but protects against the warmth. But it doesn't suit a gag, James. <laughs> I think Carla turning up in a burqa would uh, confuse more than... <laughs> confuse more than entertain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyway, her reasoning is that she always seems to get pregnant when it's hot. And it's because she becomes insatiable. And so she wants to remove any chance of any man being attracted to her. Yeah. And uh, dressing up in winter clothes in the middle of summer, that'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. So this runs on throughout the episode and actually finishes the episode as well. Carla being voracious in the heat. Oh, good word. Yes. Mm. But we have uh, the episode starts in full with Rebecca reading a news article, which she expects to be mentioned in because it's about Robin. But instead, it doesn't. No, no, no. It's about a mystery woman that Robin gave up his fortune for. And she's like, yes, probably me. But, you know, I'm not named by name and I'm not too bothered. Until the TV exposes who they think is the mystery girl to be uh, Jean-Marie. The love rival from previous series. Unseen in season eight. Yes. Who works at the French consulate. All of the people in the bar have seen her. She got legs for days. What's the naked gun line? Legs which could curdle milk from 30 paces. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love the naked gun films. Yeah. Oh, they are, they are great films. Mm. So there's a great joke in here. So when the TV reveals the French girl and uh, Rebecca is saying that you know, how dare they? It's, it's obviously me. It's, you know, I'm the one. And uh, she says to Norm, the nerve of that cheap slut. <laughs> and Norm says, don't worry, Rebecca, your friends know who the real cheap slut is. <laughs> I love this exchange because no one else will know except the people here in this bar. And Woody goes, and my mum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Woody, who cares if your mother knows? I mean, who is she going to tell? Are you serious? She has choir practice tonight. Once she gets a cup of coffee in her, those old biddies will bleed it out of her. For a moist crumb cake, she'll tell anybody why you never see Uncle Willie and Aunt May in the same room at the same time. Why, uh, why would that be, Wood? I don't see any crumb cake. Frazier tries to turn this as impositive, and he says that she can remain anonymous, knowing that she's Robin's real love. Mm-hmm. And there's some truth in that. I'm not sure I'd want to be famous. Obviously, this podcast has uh, propelled me into stardom, but I, I don't really want someone rooting through my bins or uh, following me around the supermarket. If I ever get famous enough, maybe I am um, now, but I doubt it. If I ever get famous enough where someone does root through my bins, I think I'll just uh, put confusing things in there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just like... I'm, I'm decent at Photoshop. Like, I would mock up a newspaper article, right? <laughs> Which, you know, I'd shred, but not very well. So that if they were to collect it, they'd be like, oh, 
he somehow found this news from this periodical and the news will spread never and they will never know that i was the one who wrote it in the first place yeah i'm i can be devious (laughs) (laughs) what daniel radcliffe did once which was remarkable was he knew that he was getting papped you know um because he always does you know, and this was, I want to say, when he was early to mid-20s. Boy, he's early 30s now, maybe. So what he did was he bought the same copies of the same articles of clothing, right? And just wore them uh, on a cycle, like, like Einstein did, wore the same clothes all the time. So that when they took photos of him, they were useless because they all looked like they happened on the same day. <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, and he went, I don't care, it's comfortable, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, good on you. Good on you, Dan. He's a a smart lad. He is. So where were we? Oh, yes, anonymity. Well, our heat wave continues on, Mm -hmm. but the press gets wind of some love letters that Jean-Marie has released to the press, Mm. uh, which is giving more credence to her side of the story that she is the love interest. Oh, dear. It's a scandal, isn't it? It is. It is, and it gets worse. Want to see this in the... You know, the next season of American Crime Story. (laughs) It does get worse. How so? Well, she's next, almost immediately, she's on TV. She's on a high-profile chat show. Arsenio. Yeah. Was he in Coming to America? Yes. 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 He was uh, Eddie Murphy's uh, servant, wasn't he? Yes, I've forgotten the name. But yeah, that's who he was. The other one who went to America. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But no, he had his own talk show and everything. Um, in real life, the Arsenio Hall show. Yeah, ah, there we go. Well, uh, Jean Marie has made it onto that show. She seems to be winning the uh, the publicity race. What I like about this is when the uh, when they first see the letters, because excerpts of which are published in Midnight Tatler, which <laughs> there's a great recurring gag where Frazier says that all those women who become famous because of um, is it wag. Is what they're called here, wives and girlfriends, yeah? Mm. Yeah. Rich millionaires are treated by the press like cheap sluts. You know, I think it stems from the envy that the public feels towards people who achieve a certain level of notoriety. Well, also the fact that most of those women are posed nude in popular men's magazines. You know, frankly, I wouldn't waste my money on publications like that. I mean, those letters are not real. Rebecca goes uh, about John Marie's letters. Those aren't real. He doesn't even use that font. <laughs> Which, according to Woody's mother, is a bad word. <laughs> yeah. Donuts. Oh. Hey, gee, I haven't dunked a donut in years. What? Give me another beer, man. <laughs> oh, hey, you see the midnight tattoo? Right. Seems that uh, Jean Marie sold her love letters from Robin. Yeah, really. Woo! Whee! Look at the legs on this chick. Hey, hey, guys, guys, guys. <laughs> Rebecca's standing right here. Try to be a little more polite. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Thank you very much for the donuts, Rebecca. Look at the legs on this bear. They continued on the next page or what? Don't bother, Sam. I have seen the article. It was just a stupid, pitiable act of a desperate woman. Those letters are not real. They never are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's a great back and forth, though, mm. everyone in the bar. Everyone yeah. has their piece to play. That's when cheers works right. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca is worrying that Robin actually is in love with Jean-Marie and not her. Yes. And it was Jean-Marie that he has came back for. Mm. Um, so he, she wants Sam to go to prison and ask Robin for her. And he is initially hesitant. We should say that 
when Rebecca saw that uh, Jean-Marie was on, was it Celebrity Squares? Uh, she yeah. caught on the TV. <laughs> yes, she did. She ripped that thing from the wall, didn't she? Yes. Great shot that we had of the TV falling on the floor, though. We did both a close-up of it on its side and then uh, a wide of it on its front. <laughs> yeah. Just she gave it an extra kick. <laughs> she was walking <laughs> We can't uh, pick at the continuity of a TV, I think. But we can try. <laughs> and we just did. Yeah. So it's it's odd that Sam would be sent. Uh, Sam always ends up in this predicament of getting involved with Robin perhaps more than he should. Yeah, it's, it's an odd one because it really isn't any of his business. <laughs> no. No. In this case, he agreed to it because otherwise Rebecca would go around smashing things. Yes, she breaks a pool cue in, in anger, doesn't she? Yep. A great line with Sam. He goes, you were managing this place for three years and you broke nothing. I manage it for three weeks and you ripped the TV off the wall. <laughs> uh, the old rock and roll lifestyle. Yep. Do you know what the uh, phrase is for throwing something out of a window? Defenestration. As in Keith Moon was known for his penchant of defenestrating televisions. Yes. It's one of my one of my friend's favourite words. It's a great word. Mm, it is. Um, it feels like it's... Uh, Germany tends to have a lot of good words for specific things, doesn't it? It's a French word. As in oh, yes. Yeah. Fen, fenir, meaning window. Yeah. Mm. But no, Germany does have... Um, Great words. There's a Finnish word, not Germany, but it's Finland, and I only heard it today, which is, I think it's kukuvin, right? Which literally means squat wine, and it refers to the wine on the bottom shelf of the supermarket. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <laughs> I love that there's a word for it. <laughs> I wonder if there's tiptoe magazines. Ah, those are the type of magazines which have the false letters in, don't they? Y- yes, they do. Yeah. Uh, won't catch... Fraser on his tiptoes. No, no. So, <laughs> Sam goes to prison. Don't pass go. Do not collect $200. And uh, arrives to see Robin thoroughly spoiled in prison, uh, playing tennis. And he only gets a three-hour stint of tennis a week. Yeah. Is it three unbroken hours? Because that's quite the workout. Well, maybe. That is quite a workout, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although, is it? Afternoon of tennis. Three hours of tennis. Uh, How I long is a, a a tennis match? Well, it depends st- depends on uh, who's playing. Because Mahout Isner, oh, that was a long one. Remember that one? Twenty ten was it? I thought you were going to say twenty hours. No, well, it's not. It's not far from it. Um, Eleven hours and five minutes. There you go. Three hours is a cinch. Yeah. Um, and then they were meant to play again the next day, and they basically went, "Nah, mate, I'm sleeping." <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah, I, I watched some of it. I uh, watched. I think I did watch about three hours of it, and went, "Yeah, let me know when it's in the final set." <laughs> yeah, sport can go on too long. Definitely. I mean, cricket, a test match. I've enjoyed them because of the event, but I wouldn't sit in front of a telly and watch one. You got the longest. Baseball match, because it's cheers, let's talk about baseball, uh, lasted 33 innings, uh, which was eight hours, 25 minutes of playing time. So is, is baseball always of an indeterminate length? Yes, because there are no draws in baseball. Wow. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, I wonder how many affairs have happened because uh, someone said they've gone to a baseball match and then they can basically just turn up back home at whatever time. Well, you know it's on TV. Like <laughs> you can see when the you can see when the scores are updated. Yeah. yeah. Other uh, most of the sports. I mean, we're used to football or soccer, but that has a distinct running time that may slip by five or ten minutes, but otherwise is pretty. I think rigid. the longest a football game has gone on beyond the expected time was probably forty minutes because it was a World Cup game had injury time then went to extra time mm. you know um but um, i think i remember that one but yeah it's usually meant to be 90 minutes two hours if you if you count the the break in between uh but i think this one went up to two hour 10 or something yeah, yeah. that longest baseball game was between the poor tucket red Sox and the rochester red wings uh on 23rd of june 81 and they are two triple a teams how, how on earth do you plan your day Around what? <laughs> a baseball match. Well, it's, you you know, usually it's three hours, and most professional game baseball games are three hours. Recently, in twenty twenty three, they put on a pitch timer, and that's reduced the time uh, a little as well, <laughs> down to two and a half potentially. So, Ooh. yeah, uh, and as well as they put a ghost runner in, so extra innings are less likely to go on as long. I could go on, but this is not the podcast for. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's related, but we're here to talk about plots. <laughs> yeah, amazing that we've we've arrived at the length of a baseball match from a man <laughs> visiting prison. prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, eight to ten years is the length of a baseball game. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah. Sam's there. There's a great little thing I think which happened here because Robin's playing tennis against a machine, a ball server. Sam asks to join in, or Robin tells him to get a, a, a racket because Robin doesn't have time to stop, basically. And I think what happened here was the fact that Ted Danson is an actor, not an athlete. So when they asked him to hit that, they realized, oh, Ted actually can't hit anything. <laughs> <laughs> he looks increasingly less athletic the <laughs> older he gets. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what happened. Whereas Roger Reese you know, fair game on him. <laughs> he seems to know his way around the court. Whereas Ted Danson, I'm not going to say he was as bad as Sam was. I think that perhaps the first draft involved them trying to have a bit of a confrontation while hitting these balls back. And they thought that could be a quite nice cinematographic thing to look at, you know, just mm. a shot dead on. Um, but yeah, I think they... It, Either they rewrote it to fit Ted's athletic ability or they rewrote it because they thought it would be easier to choreograph and, and block. But I did find it strange that, as Robin pointed out, Sam's character, former athlete, can't hit the ball. <laughs> he does He does give his excuse that he was the one who threw it, not hit it. Yeah, yeah. But I imagine they all have a go, don't they? That's how it's supposed to be, yeah. Mm. Um, but but he does he does hit it like a baseball player. Uh, and he, he slogs it up in the air the few times that he does hit it. Yeah, that's true. But I agree with you. This uh, Ted Danson does not have a uh, a sports career behind him in real life. He, well, even in um, Mr. Mayor, which was a recent uh, show with him in, he played the mayor of Los Angeles uh, and it was opening game of the, of the baseball season. And his character was due to throw the first pitch, right? And I was like, 
okay, this is fun. He's played a pitcher in the past. But obviously they're like, don't do it, sir. If you throw a bad pitch, it will not look good on you, right? You're meant to be an upstanding political figure. So what he uh, did in the end was, I think he threw a bad pitch on purpose to hit uh, some one of his um, cabinet because meant that he'd be uh, downplayed and things, but he could also take it in his stride because he could, you knew he did it on purpose, right? Hmm. Um, it, there was a whole thing, and I can't remember the full episode, but basically it was again <laughs> making sure Ted Danson didn't have to do something athletic. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, poor Ted. Maybe he's genuinely awful <laughs> at sports. Could be, could be. Uh, but Robin agrees to name Rebecca, doesn't he? Yes, he does. On return to the bar, there is a a new TV uh, already. That's pretty quick. But it's, it's still hot. Uh, and Carla has asked them to lock her in the office till it cools off. I thought you meant the TV was still hot as in it was <laughs> stolen. <laughs> Well, it was one of those older TVs, so uh, they do heat up a little bit. That's true. Uh, so Frasier is very brave, or stupid, uh, and goes to check on Carla in the uh, office. He unlocks it and is immediately pulled in, horror movie style, and returns moments later looking quite dishevelled yeah. uh, with his shirt hanging out. And he's lucky to escape, it seems. Well, he references the fly. <laughs> <laughs> Be afraid. Be very afraid. I need to rewatch The Fly. Goldblum mm. is, is very good. But yeah, uh, Robin is about to reveal the truth uh, about Rebecca in the afternoon paper. And Rebecca has sent Woody out to get it. Trudging through the heat. Yeah. And uh, it did not do him well because he passed out on the way back. <laughs> yeah, he's quite a sweaty mess when he comes in, isn't he? Yes. Uh, and he consumes at least two pitchers full of ice water. <laughs> Much like our summer last year, which was... Uh, Unseasonably warm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, but it's a strange country, the UK, because it feels worse than it is when it's hot because it gets very humid. Well, it went up to 100 degrees Fahrenheit for our American listeners, 38 degrees Celsius, uh, mm. I think was the highest I recorded. In some places in the UK, got up to 40 uh, degrees Celsius, which, let's just run the numbers, is ooh, 104 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, it is unbearably hot. But I've been in Seville when it's been hotter. And actually, it's more bearable for some reason. It's probably just because it's a drier heat or. It's partly to do with the type of heat. It's partly, but a friend of mine said, yeah, but it's a different thing. Because if you're going somewhere where there's a pool and you're drinking cocktails poolside, you're okay with it's hot. If you're sat at your desk working, <laughs> it's different. <laughs> yeah, this is very true. I prefer cold because you can clothe up. You can get warmer. Yeah. I think there's a limit to both, you know. I don't want to be hypothermic or hyperthermic. Yeah. I know they sounded very similar, but they are different words. Yeah, let's just keep it. That's, again, one of the benefits of the UK is it's kind of boring in terms of its weather. If you like weather to be very middle- be grand. <laughs> this is the place to be. Long, drizzly afternoons. You need Hardy. to find the, the right uh, longitude of the UK, don't you? I think we're right there, James. In the Midlands? Yeah. Well, it's in the name. Where we are is the furthest place from the sea. Yes, yes, I did. Which, you know, 
In terms of longevity, that's quite a safe place to be. In the UK, not in the world. Yes, no. <laughs> we, we don't do distance very well in the UK. Anyway, this has been your local weather report. <laughs> Back in Boston, uh, there's going to be a wind of change uh, coming as Sam tries to dissuade Rebecca about the pursuit of fame. Yes, he didn't do very well. Uh, he ends up convincing himself that he misses fame rather than convincing her that it's not worth having. He's a fickle beast, fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see its appeal, but I can see that it's suffocating as well. Mm. I like recognition, you know, recognition of doing a job well done and, you know, being monetarily rewarded for that is appealing, but mm. I don't want to be badgered. <laughs> no. Free trainers sounds nice, though. I got trainers. But free trainers, James? I was I was watching um, a sort of Graham Norton show, talk show, and John Boyega was talking about when he stole socks from Primark. And I'm like, you don't need to steal socks, mate. People will give you socks. <laughs> yeah. And also, I don't understand how you're, uh, you're not that much older than me and how you're not being given socks at Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the uh, choice gift for people who don't want to put the effort in, isn't it? Where's your, so- where's your sock, friends, Boyega? And why Primark as well? Yeah. If you're going to shoplift, you know, do it somewhere worthwhile. I mean, no offence to Primark, but you're pretty cheap at Primark. Up your game, Boyega. <laughs> mm, yeah. But there's a news announcement of more weather, and it's going to be even hotter tomorrow. Oh, that's what you want to hear. Well, not everyone, uh, because we hear uh, a rattling at the door. Yeah. See rattling at the door. Everything around that door is rattling along with it. And we should say which door? The office door. Yeah, yeah. Um, because Carla, I don't know how to put it correctly. Is uh, hungry. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's hungry for uh, a nice cooling man. I was going to quote Dr. Frankenfurter. <laughs> I need a, needs a man with blonde hair and a tan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but as she's stated earlier in the episode, I don't think she's picky. I don't think hair colour matters, but, you know, for Woody's sake, I hope it's not blonde hair in a tan. Because mm-hmm. he's been through the ringer. Yeah, we did gloss over one bit earlier in the episode where Carla spots a man on the phone <laughs> in the side of the bar yeah. and starts eyeing up his, uh, uh, his body. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out to be Cliff on the phone. And um, she's disgusted in herself. Yeah. But I have to say, uh, that was well-framed because Cliff actually did look quite good in that shot. Yeah. <laughs> Not expecting to, to say that, but he, oh. he, what's the word? Well-formed? Is that the word I'm looking for? I'm sure it, it serves. It serves, yeah. Yeah, it that'll does, do. It does the job. Yeah. He, uh, he had pulled his suit tight in all the right places. Yeah, let's, let's say that. So, well done, Cliff. Cliff wins body of the week. But let's talk about the other bodies in the bar this week. Roger Reese as Robin Colcord, Arsenio Hall as Arsenio Hall, uh, the comedian, actor, and talk show host, made his film and TV debut in Oliveira's movie Macabre, and went on to act in New Love American Style, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Amazon Women on the Moon, The Real Ghostbusters, Coming to America, Harlem Nights, Ghost, Living Single, Black Dynamite, and many others who is also a writer and producer for the Arsenio Hall Show and Arsenio. Catherine McNeil, 
returns as Joanne after previously appearing in season six, episode two and 12. This is her last episode. Roy Alsted as Sherman. He also appeared in Matlock, Body Slam, Amen, They Came From Outer Space, The Young and the Restless, Minority Report, and many more. Paul Wilson returns as Paul, now with the added surname of Crepens. He last appeared in Season 6, Episode 15. Lee Allen, Susan Evans, Don Bennett, and Joan Carey are all uncredited as bar patrons. Joining them this week, we have Uriah Carr, who also appeared in The Naked Gun, Star Trek The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and The Big Bang Theory. Alexis Crawford-Ticketin, whose only acting credits are this role on multiple episodes of Cheers, and on another uncredited bar patron. Oh, it looks like the trivia is here. Let me just go and collect it. Well, what a fine shape of a man that was. Oh, I did not expect that. Brought us some, uh, some heaps of paper to go through uh, with some trivia on. But as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. Uh, James, you want to start us off? Yeah. I'm still recovering from <laughs> the sight. Yeah. What is Jean-Marie's surname? Oh, I think I do know this. Bellier? It's pretty close. Bollier. Yeah. Bollier. What are the other guests, or who are the other guests, on the Arsenio Hall show? Uh, it's Michael Caine, and oh, I can't do the other one, uh, MC <laughs> Hammer. <laughs> yeah, do an impression of MC Hammer. <laughs> if, if it was on camera, if this was the video version. Easy. <laughs> yeah. I can't do the voice. <laughs> Michael Caine, I could do reasonable. <laughs> everyone can do the same line, can't they? Which isn't the uh, the line everyone can do. He never said. What, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off, that one. That one is him. It's the other one where everyone says, my name is Michael Caine. Not a lot of people know that, or something like that. Yeah. Well, that's from Acting Masterclass or something, but I don't think he said it in a film, because why would he? He's Mm. acting. Yeah. (laughs) Good old Michael Caine. A man of exceptional acting talents, but very little range. <laughs> I don't know. He could do, he could do mirth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he could do mirth and he could do tragedy, you know? This is true. Um, he he these, pushes his glasses upon his face with... Uh, he's excellent at that. Like Harrison Ford and pointing. <laughs> <laughs> Got a great point, does Harrison Ford. Tom Cruise and running. Tom Cruise does like a good run. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Loves the park run, does he? Cheeky 5K. Oh, but, but he does it very quickly and with some some effort as well. You know who I've heard? I don't think they're as much of a good runner anymore, but you know who I heard was a very speedy boy back in day? It was David Duchovny. Really? Yeah, I heard uh, in some episodes of The X-Files that the camera crew couldn't, <laughs> couldn't pan quickly enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, there is a bit of a. But tip he, he looks. He looks like he was a runner back in uh, X Files days, doesn't he? It's mm. quite svelte. Yeah, yeah. But his personality isn't very. He's got quite a um, subdued. Yeah, yeah. He, he certainly doesn't. His face doesn't sprint, <laughs> even if his body can. Well, <laughs> uh. <laughs> is there any other famous actors we want to insult on here? No, but I have one more question. 
one of Woody's relatives goes by two names. What are they? Oh, It's heavily implied as the same relative, I should say. Well, like, he speaks about his mother in this episode. Is it his mother? No. Uh, uh, but it's, rela- it's related to his mother. Is it an uncle that gives cake or something? The line is, give her a slice of moist crumb cake and she'll tell you why you never see Uncle Willie and Aunt May in the same room. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> and they go, and why is that, Woody? And he goes, I don't see any crumb cake. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not the line I expected. I expected Woody to not understand that they might be the same person. Oh, they tricked me there. Uh, I have a couple of questions left for you, James. Sam mentions uh, three perks of fame. Uh, Could you tell me what they are? Not having to wait in line, valet parking and free stuff. Uh, Autographs was the last one. Uh, Autographs, yeah. Two out of three means that you get no points. I wouldn't even consider <laughs> I wouldn't even consider an autograph a perk because then someone has your signature. This is true. Who needs a signature these days? That's why if I were to be famous, I'd use a different name. So there's a difference between my celebrity autograph and my uh, financial signature. What would be your celebrity name then, James? Oh, well, Jim Marsh. It's very similar, but it's written differently. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Not James Snack. <laughs> James. Oh, Snacks. Snacks is quite good. S-N-A-X. A-X. Yeah. <laughs> James Snacks. Uh, Troy called me once Snack King Cole uh, oh, because I love you. a snack and I got a deep singing voice. Ah, it's the perfect nickname. Yeah, it works on at least two levels. Brilliant. Oh, well, there you go. You are Snack King Cole to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. My last poor fact from this episode. What are the features of the new TV? There's three. Oh, uh, Black Dot Matrix, more channels, uh, and it's in, and this is in in quotes, HD, as in HD not today, but HD for then. Yes, you've got two out of three, so no points again. (laughs) I'll give you the, uh, the missing one was Dolby Surround. And I had to look up what Black Matrix was. It's just to do with the pixels are in it. Yeah, just re- reduction of light uh, between pixels uh, to give more clarity, I presume. Also, it says it's got Dolby Surround. They didn't get new speakers. No, what TV has Dolby Surround in those days built into the TV? So it's not really surrounding, is it? It's, it's come from the same point. Mm. Mm. Oh, we'll have to write a letter in. I mean, I can't criticise the past. I can criticise the past but I can't criticise people's understanding of technology (laughs) in the past. They understood it as best as they could. (laughs) I'll give them that. Oh, what's that sound, James? Oh, it's time for a last call. Oh, so what are we drinking then? It's very hot. Uh, We need something refreshing, don't we? I know, maybe a banana daiquiri because of banana rama. Okay, I'm all for it. I didn't quite understand the reference at the start, and I'm still lost. The the, the, the song Cruel Summer by Bananarama. That's a song. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you've heard it. You're going to listen to it after this episode, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, that one. I will, I will fire up the Cheers um, playlist. And um, it will be on there. It will be on there. Well, cheers to that, James. Cheers. Talk to you next week, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.